You are down with. Yo, Dave. What up? Drop the beat. We like it old school. You know how we do this. What you listening to? The brothers from the 818. 2 What's going on? This is uh, David, two times, two times back at you uh, for another episode of The Brothers from the 818. As always, kicking it with my main man, Caleb. Caleb, what's going on with you? David, two times, man. I need a, a, a nice um, nickname, man, that is, that's going to be comparable to David, two times. It's good, Dave. Um, I'm glad to to hear all of the positive feedback and and to know that our our listeners are um, actively um, 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 engaged in the discussion for police reform. Um, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you just don't know what you're going to get out of a panel of of of, of um, community members and that have a wealth of uh, of experience from different uh, educational backgrounds, different employment. But I love what we had last week, and I'm looking forward to more of that discussion this week. How's, how about you? What's going on with you? About the same, man. I, I love the uh, positive feedback and the not so positive, right? Um, and look, people, I, I say it all the time. You know, I love to hear from you and, and tell me all about it, the text messages, the calls. I've had some great conversations this week. Do it online, you know, j- just jump on YouTube, Facebook, say what you got to say. And, you know, let the conversation be stimulated that way. I love to hear it and I'll, I'll take it however it comes. But, you know, you want to help us out. That really goes a long way. So um, but yeah, people have some things to say. And um, and I'm really interested in incorporating a lot of that feedback into not only episodes that are coming up. Well, actually into the episodes that are coming up. So um, looking forward to uh, tonight. Tonight's actually a continuation of exactly where we uh, started. Um, we got minimum, you know, two more, uh, two more parts to this um, in addition to tonight. So um, I advertise this as a four part series. Could be six, could be eight. I mean, we only got through one question, man. Right. And right. So, um, so we just have to see, but I'm encouraged um like i said before if if, um we need to be able to have these discussions in an element where everyone isn't there to agree with one another right where we can actually have some engaging debate even if it gets a little tense just so the conversation gets started yeah um you know it's a tough discussion right and i don't know you know you talked about that feedback people will send me you know, I got, I'm an iPhone dude, right? And so people will send me, you know, 300, 400 characters in, on my iPhone, right? And I'm like, you could have just dropped that right there because we're, we're checking, we're checking the uh, the streaming networks, I mean, uh, platforms, and we can see what you put there. 
And maybe if you if you shared your uh, opinion, then others will also voice their opinion and we could be in a greater dialogue because of that. But it is tough. It is a tough discussion. I'm not sure how our, our viewers are going to love one week, two week, three week, four weeks of police reform. You know, when we were in the in the in the heat of the debates, we were like, man, we need to talk about something else. We got this panel and I and we're going to take advantage of of the expertise of this panel. And um, it's going to it's going to be what, what it, it's going to land where however it lands. Um, but I'm excited that, you know, all of last year we spent, I don't know, we did we did 40, 40 some episodes last year. Uh, we spent 25, 30 episodes talking about you know the the the, the police reform, civil unrest, and, and and politics in this country. You know this is where we need to be, Dave. Yeah. And and I and I don't want people to to become comfortable with um, the George Floyd um, verdict and some of the changes and some of the the um, the um, trigger points that are the media is is talking about that seems as if there's a lot of progress. I want to see the progress and I want to continue to make progress on top of the progress. There's more work to do besides of, of, of the of the disgrace of of the police force and what happened with um, Joyce Floyd. And we need to keep talking about it and we need to continue to come up with strategies that's going to address the bigger issues across our nation. What you're about to see is the continuation from last week's conversation. If you need to uh, brush up, just pull up the last five minutes of the last podcast and it'll pick up right from there. And, um, you know, just see, I think uh, some, you know, it got a little more edgy in part two. And, and I'm really looking forward to continuing some of that edge and, uh, and um, getting through some of that tension in parts three and four. So um, you got anything else you want to get to the people? No, man, let's get to it. Stay tuned. We're going to flip this right over to continuation of police reform, part two, only on the brothers from the 818. We'll see you when we get back. Peace. Peace. So I'm glad we're able to have these conversations. And honestly, there's so much I can say. I'm just, I'm listening, right? Because this isn't over for me. This is what's starting here and it's going to go somewhere else. And I'm going to be able to re-engage, reapply, you know, add, add these conversations up. So I'm really encouraged. I, I really appreciate it. Sorry to interrupt. Damani, if you were done, uh, Zach, if you wanted to chime in or Mike, if you want to say something else. Go ahead, Damani. I just wanted to say one more thing to it again. I, I, moving from the West Coast, coming into the Midwest, and seeing the loopholes and the things that they do wrong here as well. Because a lot of them have been here their whole life. They don't see anything different. And again, we live in the Midwest where the Tamir Rice case happened. Again, Ohio is an open carry, concealed carry state. A 911 call, a kid playing in the park with a gun, and within three seconds, he was dead. That got to be the, the fast judge, fastest investigative police officer in the world he can just decipher what happened in three seconds like he didn't get out barking any commands let's check for id do you have a permit for it then if he'd have heard him respond he'd have saw as a little kid playing in the swing with his sister but we can't have that conversation he's dead and, they, and there are no there are no white kids getting shot like that and if they do 
you know, there's going to be a whole different ball game being played. And so, so now, you know, this, this frustration has built up. Now everybody's, you know, coming out of the hinges and taking a back look at from a, a homeowner, a business owner, myself, and a taxpayer. You say, okay, when I look in the lens of police reform, well, the first thing is the, the, these, these settlements that are going out of these courts, they, you know, they go to these civil courts and, and they get these cash settlements. That money is not affecting the police union. That money is not affecting that police officer. That money is coming from the taxpayer's money. So if it's going to be some cash out, it needs to be some punitive damages on these police officers that actually did the act. I'm not painting the brush with all police. I'm also looking at them in the Midwest. When these protests come out, they're not out in MRAPs and fully vest up like they do in the West Coast. They out here, they stormed the Capitol in Wisconsin and Michigan. They, they, they were spitting in their face. White men armed, AR-15s, the whole nine. They just stood and broke, didn't break the line, let them talk, let them have to say what they had to say. On the converse, people who are not armed, they out there in T-shirts and flip-flops, Black Lives Matter. They getting woe out <laughs> for a whole summer. Then you, then we find out with again January six that the the insurrection, the the capital attacks in Wisconsin and Michigan were just test runs to see so they could try it on the six because it was the same groups, same groups. And we know if that would have been the Nation of Islam, the Hebrew Israelites, <laughs> any black or in the Black Panthers or any group like that, oh, they, they'd have been pulling them out. Riza Islam was getting drugged out of LA right now. He has to do it. He's talking to the Capitol. No, you and Farrakhan, y'all got to go. Everybody. Well, but with them, uh, they, they're like, they, I guess they went to Osama bin Laden's school of hide and go seek. <laughs> Nobody can find them. We don't know who they are. <laughs> But I, I, you know, I, again, I, Mike, I really appreciate it. I, I have two of my frat brothers I love dearly, grew up, went to college, and became police officers. One of them, unfortunately, shot a person in the line of duty. And, you know, he went through his standard procedure. He was off from work, um, you know, pending investigation or what have you. He called me. I'm not a trained law enforcement. I don't know anything about it. He called me, and we had a different insight of why he was in that situation. And then after he went and had his psychiatric evaluation, he came back like a month later, he was he got approached by the SWAT team. He called me. He said, Demine, they trying to move me up and try to move me into the SWAT team. I said, yeah. He looked at me and like, why? I said, dude, you shot somebody up close and personal. And you didn't go cuckoo. You definitely can shoot somebody from far away. <laughs> and I'm just police perspective-wise. Right. <laughs> and of course, he went through the training again. He's been on police force 17 years now. Good officer. Love him to death. I was in his wedding. Matter of fact, I introduced him to his wife. He married one of my homegirls. That was a sorority. Delta Sigma Theta at the time. Hey, Damani, man, thank you for that. You know, um, what comes to mind is equity and disproportionality. I want to make sure that Zach has an opportunity to chime in. Um, 
and um, respond. Um, Zach probably thought, hey, man, I get to go first, man. We Zach went first, and he's been silent ever since because of the uh, format of our, of our roundtable. But Zach, man, please chime in and uh, comment on anything you've heard from Damani, Mike, or Dave. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I appreciate all the, the views and perspectives on all of this. And, uh, you know, when you when you sit back and and I'm listening to Damani speak, uh, you know, just being from Oakland and and, uh, you know, from from his, his family background and dynamic and now living in the Midwest. And from from what I know, and I may be a little off here, Milwaukee is one of the most segregated places that in, in, in the U.S. And, and I think uh, knowing that. You know, and then uh, on the other half of the world, being here in Los Angeles, so I'm sure Mike sees a, a variety of different things. And for me, when you think about all of these different things, and and I'm coming from the perspective of education, and and let's be let's be honest and and, and frank, there's 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 a difference when or there's a difference when you think about education and policing, right? It it doesn't sometimes it goes together, but not necessarily. I, I don't know the term, but you know police officers, they act and the education might sometimes at times be a, a, a second part of the job, so to speak, right? Nevertheless, when, when I think about those things and, and, and to kind of give you guys some some, some more transparency and, and also my thinking as well. So I'm a dean, I'm actually the dean of, of my school. I'm the dean of culture and climate. So when you talk about culture and climate, right? And it, it, it seems very, very elementary, so to speak. I'd sit there, I'd deal with kids, we work on the three C's. Cooperation, collaboration, and communication, right? You think, hey, you know what, when you talk to the youngest of all kids and go through those steps and talk to them about those those simple steps, right? How do they respond? What does it look like when, when individuals are collaborating, right? What happens? When we're not communicating with one another, what happens, right? cooperation, all of those things. And you were looking at young kids. I'm looking at fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth graders that that figure it out and understand that. But us as, as a whole have a hard time with that. But I think about all those things and you talk about policing. And why is it that that uh, definitely like Damani said, there is, at, there is definitely a problem with accountability when it comes to minorities, especially African-Americans right now in society out there in the world, right? We're getting mowed down, point blank, for whatever reason. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know why, but I'm here to learn, and I'm, I'm I'm here to understand that. But the most important thing I think of all of this is this stuff is is, is almost similar to, to racism, right? Racism is not something that is, you know, you're not born with racism, right? It's taught, it's developed, right? So these things, just like anything else right, are being uh, kind of manifested and, and, and put together and, and just, I don't know, coming about. But why? The question is why, right? Now, I don't have all the answers, and that's why we're on this, right, to talk about these things, to have thought-provoking conversations, to understand this stuff, right? But I know one thing, and I keep going back to elementary, and I keep going back to the education, I keep going back to kids, because... We should be able to do this as adults, but it's deeper than that. And I think the number one thing is we have to acknowledge, right, A, what's going on, B, why is it going on, 
right? And then also, right, to move forward, it's very, very important that we take the opportunity to learn what it is we need to do. And if we if we sit here and, you know what, we, we take bits and pieces of it and, you know, try to put something back together with missing parts, it's going to hold for a bit, but it's not going to work long term. So we need to figure out some long term uh, uh, goals, long term uh, uh, problem solving uh, solutions to whatever this is. But I'll tell you the number one thing, if I could could say anything, just like education, kids, not only kids, that nobody will listen to you. You can't begin to teach a child if they're not, if they don't have the the, the basic necessities, such as eat food, right? Food insecurities, right? And trust, right? Same thing with communities. You can't even begin to fix this problem if the community is not trusting, right? When you look at food insecurities, right? That has nothing to do with policing, but there are definitely some type of correlation between food insecurities and, oh, excuse me, not food insecurities, I'm sorry, but other type of insecurities within the community that face that are faced with when it comes to policing. So, you know, not to, 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 to go back and forth, not to keep going uh, deep into this. I'm, and I'm, I'm very interested to, to hear what more of Mike has to say to Molly, because all of this stuff is, is so important. It's so key and critical to have the understanding, right? We understand that we're all humans, right? We could, I think we could all agree on that, right? We all have, everybody has families. Everybody wants to get home to their families. All of these things are important, right? But it's very important to have some understanding. It's very important to create an environment in which, you know what? There's trust amongst everybody that is living there. But how do we get to that point? And the first thing I think is the acknowledgement of what is going on. And then from there, we can move forward. So, Yeah, if, if, if I could chime in real quick, not to interrupt anybody who mm-hmm. would like to speak, but... To, to touch on a couple things, we could, I mean, we can go off on a whole show on Brianna Taylor and some of these other ones, but um, you mentioned uh, education for officers. And, you know, I think a lot of times we get, we get caught up in this. We want, we want change and we want it now. So we need to implement a policy to create change. Well, the reality is culture is going to trump policy all day long. You, if you don't change the culture, a policy is going to mean it's going to mean it's not going to mean anything. So we talk about education. The reality is with with street cops and I don't work in an area where I smile while I drive around and smile and wave. Uh, I, I work in arguably the most violent eight square miles in, if not the state, the nation in, in Watts. So, you know, criminal justice degrees are, are snickered at. It's the culture what do you need an education for? We're, you know, we're hardcore street cops and it's going to take a while to change that, that culture. Um, and, and policy, you can require a college degree, but is that really going to change the culture? Is that going to really implement critical thinking or is people just going to get a degree just to get that piece of paper so that they can come on and, and, and be an officer? Um, I'm also going to mention something that David was referring to as far as when you surround yourself with like-minded people, I, I was lucky enough to have some some self-scrutiny and some, you know, to realize that I had surrounded myself in, in an echo chamber. When you 
you're you're talking to like-minded people and you're just reinforcing your own ideas. So the main reason I decided to go to USC to get an education in in an urban environment, I knew exactly what I was getting into. I was going to hear the other side. And, and I think there's a distinctive difference between hearing the other side and actually listening to the other side. So in class, I, I do what David is trying to do right now in that, you know, I'm seeking to understand and I'm not going to seek to be understood. I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen to what everybody is saying, because this is a side I've never really listened to before. I know my side. It's been developing my entire life, but I don't know the other side. And so I think we should all challenge each other. I've challenged my classmates because they're in the same echo chamber. I'm the only conservative in that class. And it doesn't help that I'm a white cop as well in this current climate. But I also need to hear that other side. And I'm going to switch trans. I'm going to transition real quick because I want to know your thoughts on this. And how do we decide or not how do we decide, but. We, just, we mentioned the knife shooting, and Damani mentioned that it was a justified shooting. With the, with the outrage that happened over that, does it take away from all the unjustified shootings? When we make a big deal about a shooting like that, why don't we make a big deal about the shooting where the guy's running through the baseball field and the officer, I think it was in Kansas City, shoots him in the back and then throws his taser down? How come that one doesn't make it to mainstream media but we react over uh, someone stabbing someone on video. Why don't, how do we pick and choose which one of these? And I, I fear that uh, to react the way some people did over this recent one with the knife, it takes away from the Floyd. It takes away from some of the other one. And I just, I don't know. I, I feel like we get to the point where every single time the police pulls the trigger it's wrong and, and i we may be diluting what's happening here right now i i wonder if we've got to the point where every single time police use lethal force um we're condemning them and we're taking away from those instances where clearly deadly force should not have been used and i almost feel like are we focusing on every single one or or we may be losing traction as far as what's really happening. And we may be losing those who feel, well, now they're getting mad at every single one. So now what's the point, you know, and I, I just, I don't, I don't know what, if we've got to that point and, and we're going backwards, I guess is what I'm saying by getting upset at every single time. And in, in my mind, what, looks to be an obvious good shooting where someone is literally stabbing somebody else with a knife. Now all of a sudden it's, it's not a good shooting. And I think it takes away from those shootings that are clearly wrong um, by getting mad at every single one. So Mike, I think you bring up an excellent point and I just want to, I want to steer the question a little bit and throw it back, you know, uh, for, for you three gentlemen. And again, I, I just can't continue to, to thank you enough. But one, there are per capita more white people than black, so there should be more arrests. There should be more. But if you look at the per capita stance, the percentages are way off. 
And that's what we look at. Now, as far as justified versus unjustified, I'll be the first one to say, I don't know. I'm not a police officer. I don't have that burden of, of responsibility, but I know that there are police officers who don't carry it properly. So for the ones that do, the, uh, it, it, it serves a disservice to them when we compare them with the, do the ones that don't. And for the ones that don't, we're giving them a pass because we're only looking at the ones that do. And I honestly, I'm on the fence with the McKay Bryant shooting, but I look at it and I, I have to ask the question, did it, need, did it require four shots to the torso? Could one shot to the leg have done it? Was that was it justified? And again, I'm not in a position to know what's right or wrong because I don't know how I would have handled the situation because I wasn't in that situation. My day-to-day -day emergency doesn't look like that, right? But as Damani pointed out, this was a call. It was talking about what was going on. Police showed up on alert. There are millions of reasons why I could understand why someone would say that's a justified shooting. Listening to someone else, I could understand the other. What I do know is a little girl's life is lost in the middle of a situation where shootings, misshootings, justified or unjustified, are seeming to pile on back to back. And it's hard to grab that small paintbrush when every time I pick it up, the canvas has changed because something else has happened. And I pick up another one and the canvas has changed. And so I know that's going through a lot of people's minds, maybe not so passionately, maybe not so eloquently, or maybe they're just focused on the point that I'm tired. Real quick, a couple of things. First, um, the shooting in the leg, we hear this uh, quite often. And so police officers are, we're trained to shoot for the center body mass because this is the largest target. Uh, and we shoot every other month and our closest distance is from seven yards and we have officers miss. The officers are stationary, the target is stationary, and we still have officers miss. That's the reality. Now you throw in your movement, suspect's movement, uh, adrenaline, everything else that goes on with these things. The shooting in the leg, if it happens, I guarantee is accidental. It's what's called mashing. So we had an instance in downtown LA and, and the four shots was also mentioned. We had an incident in downtown LA where an individual had stabbed his girlfriend to death and was wandering the streets downtown LA, approached a, a police car. The officer drove around to give himself some distance. Ultimately, the suspect with the knife in his hand charged the officers. The officer fired 17 times, struck the suspect 15 times. 15 of those shots were fatal. And that suspect traveled 31 feet from the time he got shot the first time. So it is not Hollywood where you shoot someone and they fly across the room. Sometimes it takes 17 shots to stop someone. 31 feet that person traveled from the first time he got hit with one bullet. So in this instance, it took four shots to stop. We don't shoot to kill. We shoot to stop. Once the actions are stopped, we're done. And we're held accountable for every single bullet. Um, so that's just one thing about the, the shooting. Um, as far as, and I've heard this in class where... My, my children are afraid to be stopped by the police. I, this perception that's been created uh, where we take an instance and we make it appear as if it's, it's a commonality when I, I got a question I'm going to throw out to all you guys. And this is part of the questions I have, and I hope we're open enough to discuss this, but 
Half the murders in this country every single year are black men dying. 14,000 murders annually, 7,000 of them are black males. And the suspects are black males. Should black males be afraid of the police or their fellow black man? Damani, I'll let you, um, it was interesting. I, I heard something Mike said, right? But, but Damani, whatever thought that you just had from the question that Mike posed, you go ahead and answer that. But Mike, you said something interesting. You just talked about that individual, right? That was in downtown LA or whatnot, that, that the police shot 15 times, or excuse me, 17 times, it took 15 shots, so forth. And then you finished off that statement by saying, and for they were held accountable for every single shot, right? And I take that statement that you said right there, right? And it's interesting to me because that's the problem that I think a lot of people are having. They're not held accountable for every single shot. There's not enough transparency, right? Those are the things we're facing, right, with police at times, right? And once again, I, and, I, and, I, and I continue to say this, it's very important to me to, to, to make this very clear. Not all officers are bad. It's not all bad. But there are some people in policing that are not being held accountable. And it's showing. It's, it, it is it's being shown. Uh, and, and what, to David's point earlier, with his two sons or whatnot, you are witnessing, it's called battle fatigue from 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 a standpoint of a cultural group and experience here, African-Americans, I'm gonna speak for myself, it's battle fatigue. This is a constant fight, a constant, uh, uh, I guess, uh, bringing awareness and education to not only your own kids, but kids that look like yourself, kids of our communities, uh, people, of all races and everything else, but uh, essentially in my community and myself, you're looking at minorities and, and African-Americans and, and that's and that's what we're facing. So when you ask the question, when you pose the question and you, and you say, you know, are some of these, I guess, incidents that are happen, happening, are they essentially kind of diminishing the other ones? In my eyes, absolutely not because not everybody's held accountable. And that is the problem that we're facing. And that is the, the, the I guess, the, the source of this battle fatigue that we're having. And there has been no, I guess, um, there, there's, there's no resolution to it yet. And that's what we're struggling as, as, a, as, as a group, as a community, as, you know, just people in general. And that's why I said there needs to be some type of transparency, some type of 360 degree of whatever may be to, to, to bring some, I guess, some stability out there and uh, to, to find something that, that will help this situation, so to speak. Can you hear me? I want to say, um, addressing Mike's question, Again, in, in my perspective, growing up in the streets of Oakland, California, one, we ain't never scared. I acknowledged as, as, as a male, black male in Generation X, I am the warrior representative of the warrior class of my people. So I don't fear 
my own people anywhere I go. And I've been through the roughest neighborhoods all through California. And everybody know who I am. And outside in L.A., um, I, the, the only place that I felt like my heart stopped, it was so dangerous, was Southeast D.C. and Fifth Ward, Texas, outside of Houston. And I've been all of, I've been all the boroughs in New York, all the tough guys. It's like, OK, amongst us, you learn a language that's that's unwritten. You know when your life is in danger from another black person. You know if you are bringing something to some hungry people. It's people you in a low income area and they just hanging out and and then you jump out with all this gold and you tell your kid to go. You give him your platinum card and tell him to go into Seven Eleven get him something to eat. You become food. And if you're not streetwise and know that you are in that situation, yeah, black other black men become a danger to you. For again, for me. Again, I'm in a I'm in an open carry in a concealed state, which is part of I've been here 12 years. I guess living here long enough because of California's laws, I won't come back. Once you once you live in a in a in a, a Second Amendment state, you have a different perspective. And the perspective is all the ills in the society, they exist everywhere across the board. But does that state allow its citizens to defend itself? Because if something might pop off, I I can't call the police. And they're definitely not going to be there in the moment. I'll be appreciating, like, oh, ooh, officer, <laughs> Mike, you, you did your thing, man. I'm glad you showed up. But that might not be the case. And if I defend myself, and by California standpoint, all of a sudden I become the criminal. Because they're going to ask me, well, how did you get this gun so quick? Because you're not supposed to have a gun in your car by California law. It's supposed to be in the trunk and the bullets separated and all this other stuff. Like, oh, do that. You, you know what I mean? You start going into this other scenario. <laughs> but in again, in an open carry and, and concealed state, you are always mindful as a black person that I'm more likely to use this lethal force against someone who looks like me. That is a reality. And, and it comes with age. Because right now, if I see a guy that's my age, I can talk to him. But if I see these, one of these young cats out there, oh, we speaking a whole different language. And, and they, they on drugs that I ain't never heard of. And like, okay, dude, don't look. He think he bulletproof. I'm already got to be prepared. I haven't even got to racist white person. I ain't got to know police and even police. I'm not afraid of police. I've been in many of situations with the police that I should have been in jail. <laughs> no disrespect, Mike. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not afraid of them. I'm acting according as a legal citizen. My car is registered. My, my, my tag's up to date. My, I got insurance and I got all my information to say I can carry a firearm if you find one in my car. And I will disclose that information to you. Now you start getting on to this power trip. Oh, you get down on the ground. Get, I'm laying you down in the mud right now. You're going to ride the lightning. You start coming with all of that. Dude, you might find another Damani. I, I don't know. I had this scenario with my wife all the, with my wife all the time. My, my, my son's mother is, is from Watts. She grew up on Imperial and Clovis. My, my, my wife today is from the Pueblos. 
You know, I, I, I like tough women, you know, <laughs> if, if it get hood and my wife is a lot like my mama and she pop off her earrings, I might not be able to get her off. you. <laughs> so we, we have a different way how that goes. And we just kind of, you know, I'm not afraid of police. Hey, you just do your job. I know from growing up in California, hey, man, I'm keep my hands visible. And now with social media, I'm going to have to click my phone and record just to make sure. Like, you know, I don't think you're going to do nothing, but I'm going to make sure. And then also, I live in an area where everybody kind of know each other. And you know, other other black people are like, hey, you know that guy in the neighborhood? We're like, no, nah, i never seen him before. I, you know me, I don't take it no mind. But in, in Wisconsin, they they oh, they the snitchy state. Hey, that car been parked there for two days. How did you know that? I can't have that type of time to be paying attention to people like that. But I know that exists. I, I like communicating, again, has saved my life through many a scenario. And again, I've traveled all over the U.S. and I've been in some of the worst areas just hanging out. I got friends that live in these places like, do you be careful going over here? Like, no, nah, I'm going right there. I'm not scared of them. And I can talk the language. I know if my life is being threatened. I know if I'm out of pocket, and especially going up in California, you know, it's a trip area. They go roll up in there all flamed up. My fraternity, I'm, I'm a member of Cap Alpha Psi. My favorite color is red and white. I happen to do that, and I know they they they, they rolling 60s in Louisiana. <laughs> I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know, I, I, my, I go to Chicago. Chicago, they oh yeah, we, we shy rack. We shy rack. I just sit back and like, I said, dude, they compared Oakland to Beirut two decades ago. Now, I've never been to Beirut, but it must have been a bad place they compared Oakland to. Mm. <laughs> and then once they come in, like, yeah. And then I said, dude, why are y'all killing each other? They don't have an answer. I said, well, I don't like, dude, I don't like this. I said, man, if I went and got him and put him in the room with you right now, he'd probably beat your tail. <laughs> They get to huffing and puffing. And they say, yeah, that, that's dumb. I said, where I grew up, you fight your battles, don't never run. You win some, you lose some. Even back in the days in my neighborhood, the, the police, it was a code of, of against gangsters and police. If you was out there talking crazy to a police officer, they called it a square deal. They would take off their belt. And they say, you, you all big and bad. We're going to go in this alley right here and handle that. If you beat me, okay, you got one. If I beat you, you're going to jail for assaulting police. And they, they hammered that up. <laughs> you jumped out on a police officer with a knife, and I'll do this, I'll do that. Police officer hit you with Billy Club, over. They didn't kill you. Now, you jumped out with Uzi, Mac 10 or something, whatever was popular on Miami Vice at the time in the 80s. Yeah, you was going to get Swiss cheesed up. I don't remember police officers in my neighborhood when did something, shot so-and-so little brother. The police, especially if they older brother was in a game, they would roll him over there like, hey, man, I'm, we about to take him in. You want a hot box minute with him? They put you in the back of the police car with him, turn the other way. They're like, okay, that's enough. We got to take him in. They brought him to the station. How he get all lumped up? Oh, he fell. <laughs> and that was a cold amongst the gangsters and the police. And the, and the mamas came back, you know, Thank you, officer so-and-so. Look now for my son. I wish he didn't die, but, you know, he was cool. And then we didn't have all this foolishness. 
we don't hate all police. But when you just do stuff that just went too far in Oakland, we had the riders. They start forming gangs in the police. We was like, dude, I, I got a friend. He got keloids around his wrist because the riders handcuffed him to the, the tailpipe of a motorcycle until it warmed up. And when the, when the handcuffs start heating up, it start burning on his wrist. And so he so he'd tell all the information. That happened in 86, 85. That's unheard of now. And I was like, dude, this is crazy. And, and living out here, I said, man, we grew up as black people and those of us who grew up in urban environments, we grew up in war zones. Living out here, they think bullets go one way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they got all these AR-15s and all of this stuff. I'm like, dude, you ain't, if soon as somebody shoot back at you, you're going to drop all of them. Um, it's funny listening to you speak to money and I, I can't cop out to anything. I'm still active, but the dropping of the belts and, uh, that is, that is not an old wives tale. Um, that is an old school mindset. Um, and that happens and I may or may not have seen that happen. Um, body cameras have, I mean, we could go off on this, but body cameras have eliminated a lot of our discretion. So the day of catching a kid with a pistol and, and I got to, man, I got to walk down the street every day to school. The day of letting that kid go is gone. Now I'm letting a felony suspect go. Um, body cameras have alleviated all of our, our, our discretion. Um, it would be very common for a robbery call to come out at a high school. One kid snatches another kid's chain or cell phone. We'd pull up, throw a kid in the back seat. Let's go look for him. That's the kid right there. Jump out, grab him up, give him a little talking to, get the stuff back. That's it. Uh, we just let a robbery suspect go. But what damage we would do to that kid by arresting him for a felony when a talking to is far more important. But we've we've lost that ability with the body cameras. Now we're now we're, you know, misconduct by letting something like go. So body cameras are not necessarily the uh, the answer to everything. Hey, D, man, I, I appreciate the historical perspective, how police and the community uh, used to be in collaboration. Um, and by the way, come back to Cali, man. Come back and visit us, man. Don't, you know, you, you, can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't open carry, but come back and, and visit us. Um, and I'm glad that you know the Cali uh, laws well, too. You know that mm -hmm. to keep the, the weapon and the and the weapon and the and the, and the magazine I'm separate. The Black Panthers, Caleb. I know the laws well. <laughs> I want to I want to respond to Mike's answer. I mean, question. I want to respond to Mike's question regarding uh, the deaths in America. Um, the black deaths in America should be uh, should blacks be afraid of other blacks? I think that blacks or should they be afraid of the law enforcement? I think they should be afraid of both. Right. But they shouldn't have to be afraid of law enforcement because law enforcement, at least in the in the state that I w grew up in, in the 818 in California, Los Angeles County, LAPD is supposed to be protecting and serving, protecting and serving. And then nowhere in that, my understanding of protecting and serving, should a person have to fear the police. Um I think it goes back to equality and disproportionality. I think it goes back to education. I loved your, your uh, perspective on education. Um, and 
um, there needs to be a, a more conversation about escalation of force uh, with, with law enforcement because the, it's not equitable the way that, in my opinion, in the way that law enforcement responds to a black man and a white man, it's not equitable. Um, Dave, you have other questions? You have a response? Um, I have a I have a statement, a uh, small response. Uh, I'm not going to use the word afraid or fear. I'm going to use the term leery. We're all leery of strangers. We're leery of outsiders. Like you said, Dabani, your car's parked in the neighborhood too long, people get snitchy. Why are you here? What's going on? I'm not afraid of any black man, uh, and especially one my age, because I can talk to him. Youngsters, they can get crazy. They can. And you just don't know the language they're coming at and so forth and so on. But there is a trust. There is a, 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 a acceptance of I know the pot I'm in. And it's hot. Sometimes it's dangerous, but I can navigate this one. It's the outsider that comes in. But when you're from outside, you're a stranger, and strangers aren't trusted. Right, regardless of the aggression, regardless of the violence and so forth that goes on. And then the bigger question is if we're going to start talking about, which we may or we may not, we probably won't tonight, but I mean, you know, we could be on here for, for weeks. The, the bigger question is if we're going to start to look at should black people be afraid of black people or how dangerous of the, is the inner city? Well, how did the inner city become the inner city? Let's start talking about that. Let's start talking about how there's a show on uh, is it Hulu, Netflix right now called Them that's bringing highlight to 1950s Compton when before the white flight out and what it looked like to be a black man trying to get into that suburban area versus Compton today. Right. And so you got far enough back, you start to look at the roots for all of this. And one of the things that we brought up um, or I think, Zach, you brought up um, and it's the only time it's been mentioned is racism. What does that look like? I think there's a big component there that becomes the elephant in the room and we look irresponsible if we don't address it. Now, again, I'm talking to you guys. I'm talking to those of you watching it. It will be addressed, whether it's you try to tune in next time to catch it. We will address it because it has to be discussed as a embodiment of a policy. Right. I'm not saying anybody in this room is racist. I'm not saying all police are racist. I'm not saying all black people are racist. I'm not pointing the finger at an individual or an entity. What I'm saying is racism is a is a body of policy embraced by those in power. The body cameras discussion, I definitely want to have that conversation um, uh, that goes back into the transparency that goes back to accountability. Um, people. Listen, this is Brothers from 818. And and Caleb and I, you know, if you're a fan of this show, if you know anything about the show, we always say we're going to keep it raw, we're going to keep it real, we're going to keep it relevant. Um, tonight is just a drop in the bucket of a beginning of a conversation that's going to get a lot deeper, a lot more aggressive, um, preferably a lot more engaged at this same intensity. Because the one thing I think we can all agree on, I'm feeling good about this conversation. I'm not feeling like, oh man, that we're not saying something or we are saying something or, you know, uh, I'm upset or anything that was said. I think there's been some challenging topics. I think we're engaging on different levels and different perspectives and we're all speaking um, our truth. But uh, accountability has come up in a major way. Transparency has come up in a major way. And, and wherever this conversation goes, that's going to keep coming up. Accountability, transparency, and so forth. There's the attempt 
of what's happening. There's the actuality of what's going on. And then there's uh, how do we move on and, and still create a situation or an America, an environment that we can all engage in and live and, and coexist. The old school mentality um, worked until it didn't. The, the, the body cam philosophy makes sense to me at the same time it doesn't. Right. There, there's so much going on in this conversation that, you know, we just have to understand each other's perspective. Uh, we have to maintain that passion and to hear more of it. You got to keep coming back. Caleb. No, man, you wrapped it up. I want to just uh, thank our guests and uh, and uh, just express my appreciation for uh, everyone, for their um, perspectives, for their insight, for their um, um, for their views and their education. Uh, I, I feel like I've been educated in some areas. I definitely am walking away from a much uh, walking away from this conversation, uh, feeling uh, better about the policing in my community. And um, and I feel like um, more discussions like this need to be had in order for real change to take place. So um, um, I'm going to toss it back to you, Dave. We'll see you next time on The Brothers from the 818. Peace. Peace. You are down with the brothers from the